How are y'all doing? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Really good episode here today, uh, Thursday Turf Talk, episode 21. This is actually going to be our final Thursday Turf Talk in terms of episodes that are strictly dedicated to football. Um, we're going to have a schedule flop next week. So starting next week, because we're going to be introducing our position rankings every Monday, our Thursday episodes are going to be our traditional episodes where we go over golf, hockey, basketball, uh, college sports, stuff like that. And then in addition, we're going to throw in our football predictions into that episode. So in terms of strictly football uh, prediction episodes, this is going to be it for the Thursday turf talks. However, like I said, position rankings are starting Monday. Looking at our records through 20 weeks of predictions, the NCAA, we finished that 101 predictions we made across the year. Brady got 73. I got 70. NFL, obviously still going. There's 13 playoff games, so um, a lot can still change. Brady has a six-game lead in NFL, 174-98, and I am 168-104. Total, um, Brady's nine games up, um, which obviously 13 to go. Um, still could possibly change. Uh, we'll see. We're going to preview these six Super Wild Card weekend matchups. This weekend that we have starting Saturday afternoon, we're going to move on then to uh, about seven award predictions that we're going to make for the NFL. I know we did this preseason kind of predicting who's going to win what, but we are going to update that and give our picks as of now. And then we're going to talk about the coaching carousel. Um, eight of the 32 teams currently don't have a head coach. So we're going to talk about that and kind of what we think, who fits where and kind of theme, team's thought processes. And obviously closing it out, um, Nick Saban retired, so we're going to talk about possibly Alabama's replacement as head coach. And, of course, recapping the college football playoff national championship, uh, which will start right off the bat. So, yeah, um, college football championship, I don't think it was quite as good as we thought it might be. Uh, we had two incredible semifinal games, and this one just didn't quite live up to the hype. Yeah, I think uh, I think we saw. I don't, I don't want to make this sound the, the wrong way, but it, it, Washington wasn't ready for the moment. I don't think they. I don't want to say the stage was too big, but it looked like the stage was too big, which was shocking to me because on the biggest stage they'd played on all year in the Sugar Bowl, they 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 balled out. They they played incredibly well. So I uh, generally speaking, I I thought Washington didn't quite rise to the occasion. Um, I know they were in the game for basically three and a half quarters. Um, but again, when they needed it in the moments, even when they were in the game, when they needed it fourth and seven and Roma Dunze shakes a DB and gets wide open on the field that, you know, Michael Penix misses him. And it's, it's, it's six points. If he, if he, if he connects with him, if he gets it in his vicinity, you know where you can get two hands on it. You know it's a touchdown, and fortunately Rome couldn't. Um, the ball was long, and he airmailed a little bit. He air, you know Penix airmailed another one on a, on a third or fourth down uh, completion. It was kind of a comeback route, curl route to Jalen Polk, and they missed that one, and it took him off the field. So you know when when the and I didn't think this would happen when the Washington offense needed a play, they couldn't get it. Um, which I think is disappointing for them. I think, and again, credit to Michigan. I, no one's been able to do that to them this year at all. I know Washington State, 
they had a bad game offensively. That's a rivalry game. Um, that's kind of expected to happen sometimes to, in a tight game. I mean, Auburn and Alabama. Alabama offense looked great. And then even after that game, they looked pretty good. And they were stumped against Auburn. So, um, you know, credit to the Michigan defense. Jesse, Jesse Minter had an awesome game, called an awesome game for them. Uh, I know on that Michigan team, Jim kind of lets his defense coordinators do whatever they want. Um, he's more of a an offensive-minded head coach who spends a lot of time with the offense despite not calling plays. Um, I know he's got a lot of, a lot to do with play design and scheme and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, Jesse Minter called an, an incredible game. Um, they showed Penix things that they hadn't seen yet, and they made the picture really, really muddy and really dirty. And um, credit to him, I thought the Roma Dunze Will Johnson matchup lived up to the hype. Um, I think Rome busted his ass a few times, which was, um, I think, really good to see. I, I still don't know if I'm going to put Rome, uh, you know, ahead of. I know I talked about a bunch. I don't know if I'm going to move him ahead of, of neighbors and, and Marv, but man, he was he looked really really good. Um, phenomenal matchup there. And on the Michigan side of things offensively, I, I, that offensive line just doesn't play third quarters, I guess, because they did the same thing against Alabama. The offense stalled the entire third quarter, and then when it mattered in the fourth quarter, they got it done. So um, that's been the Michigan offense all year, though. They've leaned on that offensive line, and they've and they've relied on the offensive line being in better shape and just and just better than the opposing defensive line as the game as the game wanes, right? I mean, as the clock ticked down, as and as the fourth quarter approached, and um, that Michigan offense rose to the occasion time uh, uh, yet again. So um, credit, to, credit to the offensive line. Sharon Moore, I think, does a great job coaching them. Didn't love his play calling at times, but again, when it mattered, building on the offensive line. Actually, uh, J.J. McCarthy had a really good game. Um, I think he was like 10 for 14 for like 140 yards. That's I mean, that's the Michigan offense. Like He was never going to put up gaudy numbers. I thought that the, the incompletions were a couple, a couple bad throws, but a couple drops as well. So... Um, I thought J.J. had more drops than missed throws. Um, he made some awesome throws over the middle when it mattered, uh, namely that one to Luke. I want to say Luke Scoodmaker. He's in the NFL now. Um, Colson Loveland, really big completion over the middle. It was a, a third down maybe. Or no, that was the first possession. That was the first drop play that, that, that possession where they hadn't scored to go up two possessions in the fourth quarter. So, um, yeah, made the throw when it needed to. Um, extended a drive with his legs. I know they didn't get any points on that drive, but – um, really good, really good drive there. And, um, yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought we were going to get a blowout in the first, you know, two possessions and then Washington got it kind of under control defensively. Um, offensive never found a rhythm though. So it was a phenomenal game. I thought for, you know, three quarters, so I had some sloppy play. I thought the defense played really, really well. Um, credit to both defense coordinators, but ultimately, I think the Michigan offensive line, um, where they've won games, all 15 of their games this year was in the offensive line. Yet again, they stepped up and won the 15th game through the offensive line of the fourth quarter. So um, not quite the score I expected, but kind of how I expected the game maybe to go a little bit. Kind of Michigan keeping it close, winning in the fourth quarter, pulling away. I think I predicted a 30-27 to 27 game. Um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, I enjoyed the game. I know it wasn't everyone's favorite. Better than the last year for sure, and I still enjoyed watching watching the game. Um, yeah, it was a good end of a season. I'm glad we got two 14-0 teams in the title game. Um, I think we both said it was the matchup we wanted, so I'm glad we concluded the season that way. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, congrats to Michigan on the title. I know they really, until this year, hadn't been able to get over the hump truly. I mean, they got over the hump of beating Ohio State, but in terms of the national picture, they weren't really able to get over you know, in 21 and 20 or 22 and 23, 
both times they got to the playoff but couldn't win a playoff game. And uh, here they go finally winning not one but two playoff games and national championship. And and what's the last year the four-team playoff? I think it's huge for the program, just given the direction they're probably going with likely a new quarterback, um, new head coach. You know, both running backs are going to be gone. I mean, this is a new new direction for Michigan. I think this is huge uh, for the program, for the school, for recruiting, for everything. When you can finally get over the hump when you're about to turn the page. And I think, I mean, it was a really sloppy game. I'm not going to say it was like a back and forth. Early on, I mean, Washington couldn't tackle. Washington was dropping passes, missing passes. Michigan was dropping passes, missed a couple tackles. So, I mean, for the most part, it was unfortunate to not see the two of the best teams in the country play up to their standard in the biggest game, but still made for a good game. Um, obviously not as good as it could have been being a 21 point difference, but still two really talented teams that more than deserves to be there. And, you know, both their stabs are going to be looked through pretty hard by NFL teams. And especially when we have eight openings, I think, you know, when you win a national championship in college and given Michigan, a lot of, a lot of guys on that staff, starting with Harbaugh, that really made a name for themselves in the NFL. Um, but moving on here, I mean, I'm just glad that that was the game we got. I just wish, it, like I said, a little closer. But the two teams more than deserves to be there. Incredible seasons all year long. Um, faced adversity. You know, were counted out multiple times and still pulled through and went the distance. So props to them. Um Moving on here to the Super Wild Card Weekend. We have six games since they expanded to seven teams in each conference. No longer do you have two teams get a bye. Uh, only one team does, and then the other six play. We have the three AFC games first, and then the three NFC games. Start on Saturday at 3.30 Central, uh, Saturday the 13th. Browns at Texans down in Houston, where the national championship was just played. Um, Cleveland's favored by two and a half. I know Cleveland's been hot as of late. Uh, you know, guys went down. They've had four different starting quarterbacks, and they've looked really good. Their defense is, is number one in yards per game um, and top five, ten in every other category. So really good defense. Texans have been really good, too. I mean, new coaching staff, new players for the most part, stepping up and obviously leading them to the playoffs is huge in the first year. I just think I think it's going to be a really good game. I think this is could be the best game of the whole weekend, um, the first one. But I'm going with Texans to win. I know, you know, I know the Browns are favored by two and a half, but in Houston, you know, they haven't had a playoff game in four years. I think it's going to be a big time atmosphere, and I don't know if the Browns are going to be able to offensively play to their standard and play, you know, stay as hot as they've been, just given that they've exceeded expectations. Gonna go with the Browns in this one. I think this is, I think this is the best game of the weekend at a two and a half point line. I think it's kind of a pick 'em. Um, I don't know if we're gonna see like a game winning field goal, you know, one or two point margin. So I think the Browns win. I think the Browns cover the two and a half. Again, it's kind of a pick 'em here at two and a half points. Uh, I think the Browns defense, like you said, I mean, on all accounts, they're the best defense in the league this year. And I don't know if um, Houston really didn't see a lot of elite defenses being in the division that they're in, just generally speaking wasn't like a, a crazy, really a crazy good defense league. I know Titans had a good front. Jacks had a good defense start the year. Colts have a scrappy front. I just, nobody has what Cleveland has. I mean, that's, that's why they're 12 and five. That's why they made the playoffs as the five seed. That's why they were 
you know, like I said, a 12 win team this year. They, they've got the best front um, or one of the best fronts in the league. It starts with Miles Garrett and ends with Miles Garrett. So I think they get a win. I think I'll be curious to see how how the offense looks for Cleveland. Does Joe Flacco stay on this heater? Does he cool off? Um, what does the offensive line look like against the Texans defense? And I'm watching for Derek Singley Jr. this week, too. If, if Houston's going to win this game, they're going to need a big game from him. He's their CB1. He's really coming to form this year in his, in his second year. Um, after, I won't say like a disappointing rookie year. He was just he was banged up a lot. So, obviously disappointing because the guy who was taken right after him was a first-team All-Pro. But um, they're going to need Singley to have a really good game and, and have a great a great game against Amari Cooper, who's, I mean, been an absolute monster since Joe Flacco's taken over. Um, I understand why. I mean, Joe's looking for a vet, a steady presence. So, um, big game from Stingley this week. I think he might – I'm going to look for him to follow Amari, see what happens. But, um, like I said, give me the Browns to win and the Browns to cover the two and a half. I'm um, just playing ball control and having, better, having a better defense on the field. Popcorn matchup, guy we just talked about, Miles Garrett. Um, like I said, defense starts ends with him. Uh, going up against Laramie Tunsil to the Houston Texans. Again, uh, best against best. Top five guys in their positions in the entire NFL. Um, doesn't get better than this. I mean, this is a one-on-one. I think I think we will see. Miles Garrett does like to test the other team's best tackle, at least to start the game. Um, and I know that the Cleveland defense is going to move guys around a bunch. Um, they're going to have a bunch of different fronts thrown at you. So um, looking for this one to have a kind of a, a climactic start to the game here with, with these two. Um See how long it kind of plays out, who gets the best of who to start it out. But certainly going to be one to watch here with uh, Tunsil versus Miles. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, probably have it on at the basketball game we have this weekend. Um, yeah, it should be a really good game. Looking forward to a bunch of different matchups. You know, with it being the playoffs, you have a you know multiple really good one-on-one matchups across the board in each game. Um, moving on to the night game Saturday. It is exclusively on Peacock, unfortunately. Um, you might have to, you know, do a free trial or something if you don't already have it to be able to watch this game. But Dolphins at Chiefs, 7 p.m. Chiefs are favored by four and a half. Dolphins are keep getting banged up at the wrong time. It seems like they're one of the healthiest teams for most of the year. And then Jalen Phillips went down, I believe, on Black Friday. And then since then, they've just been getting banged up and um, – you know, they lost Bradley Chubb. They lost uh, Van Ginkle, um, Javon Holland, and Jalen Ramsey. Really the main two guys that are back. Xavier Howard is banged up. So I think the Chiefs being at home in the playoffs where they've – I think Mahomes has had like 10 or 11 playoff wins already. I think granted that they haven't played to their expectation or their normal level of play, I think they somewhat uh, get back to that form. Obviously they're not going to be what they were, but – I think they're going to play better than they have been. Um, and I'm picking them to win. But I pick, I'm going to pick Miami to cover the four-and-a-half-point spread. I think it's going to be close, maybe like a 27-23, something like that. But uh, it's not going to be the cleanest game of the weekend, but it's going to be close to pretty even teams in, term of, in terms of strength versus strength. Um, and it's Tyreek Hill's return to Arrowhead. So that's a uh, a big storyline on this game. I think it'll be – a good one across the board, and it should be close down to the wire. This one's tough. Um, four and a half point spread is felt like a lot for a game that I feel like is kind of a toss up. Um, I think the Chiefs win. They're at home. The Dolphins have looked 
not great in the month of December. Uh, didn't really finish the year well. Hadn't looked good in their one game or a couple games in January. Um, they're on kind of a skid. The Chiefs, I think, are figuring it out. It's kind of hard to tell. They didn't play their, their starters last week against the Chargers. Um, and then, you know, Chris Jones played till he got a sack to get his $1 million, uh, $1 million and then he uh, kind of checked out of the game. So hard to tell what, kind of what they're looking like and the rest of their guys. But, again, Miami offense looks like they are really struggling right now. Um, I think Steve Spagnuolo is one of the more underrated defensive coordinators in the NFL. I know he's not a head coach anymore. He probably will never be a head coach again. He's an awesome, awesome defense coordinator. They have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Um, it's going to be the Chiefs to win, Chiefs to cover at home. Um, or, sorry, Chiefs to win, Miami to cover in Kansas City. Um, popcorn matchup here. Going with Creed Humphrey and Joe Tooney, the interior, the two kind of main interior guys for the Chiefs. Humphrey being the center and uh, Joe Tooney being their left guard versus Stevens uh, tackle Christian Wilkins for the Dolphins. Guys hitting the market this year, having an awesome walk here. Had a, he's had an awesome you know start to his career on his rookie deal in Miami. Um, one of the better defensive tackles in football. One of the more complete defensive tackles in football. Awesome pass rusher. Really solid on the run defense. A um, couple of trenches, trench matchups to start out here. But uh, it's been some awesome trench matchups um, kind of as we've as we've gotten through here. And then we've got a couple more down the line here. They're going to be awesome, too. So um certainly going to be watching watching Wilkins and Creed. Um, should be a great matchup. I know on Peacocks and everyone's going to watch. I know everyone's pissed about it. The NFL is smart. They're getting the, they're getting the Swifties to get on to get a Peacock subscription so they can watch the Chiefs game to see Taylor Swift at the game. I mean, it's, I mean it, it, it's easy. It's right in front of our faces. Everyone was pissed about why it's on that. Guys, it's right there. It's very obvious to me. So um, I think it should be a good game regardless. Um, I think Miami covers the four and a half, so it should be a you know a four-point game. So hopefully uh, hopefully we see a good game. I think it'll be low scoring, if I had to guess. So but looking forward to that trench matchup as well. Um, I'll let you uh, keep your thoughts. We can get into the next matchup here. Yeah, it should be a good one. Like I said, Tyreek's return. Likely lined up across uh, from Legarius Sneed. That should be a really good matchup as well. Um, I think Jalen Waddle, um, he should be able, should be good to go. Not entirely sure, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as well. I don't know if I'll be able to watch it, uh, just because I don't know if I'm gonna go through all the hassle to, you know, do the Peacock, whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, it should be good. I'll see some highlights and stuff if I don't end up watching it. But uh. Sunday, uh, just a normal Sunday slate, 12, 3.30, and 7.15 game times. Starting with the noon game, um, Steelers at Bills. The Bills are favored by 10 um, in Buffalo. They clinched that game by beating Miami in Miami last week. Bills favored by 10. I'm going to pick the Bills to win, but I think the Steelers keep it close. The Bills are just up and down for me. Um, you know, I know they've played really well the past month or so, but they're still too up and down, still haven't done a whole lot to show me that they're, like, elite. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely going with the Bills to win, but I think it'll be closer than people think. Bills win, Bills cover the 10. This is one of those games that just the Steelers come out and just don't don't play well at all. Um, in the cold, you've got Mason Rudolph starting. Uh, the Bills are hot too. I mean, that's the biggest thing. The Bills are hot. They're not really <laughs> Mason Rudolph going up against the Bills defense. As good as they've looked recently, that's all. That's all I had to look at this matchup and say. Bills win. Bills cover. Seems easy to me. Um, popcorn matchup here. 
Stephon Diggs versus Joey Porter Jr., a rookie quarter out of Penn, rookie corner out of Penn State for the Steelers, going up against one of the vets of the game, and Stephon Diggs. Porter's had a good rookie year. Diggs has been real quiet in the last couple of weeks, really the last month, month and a half, maybe even two months. Um, so I think, I think uh, looking for Diggs to either listen get out of the funk and have a big playoff game, or Porter could lock him up. I mean. Porter's had, like I said, Porter's had a good rookie year. Um, <clears throat> loved him as a man press corner. I think we both had him as a top 15 prospect. So, yeah, man, I'm, I think, like I said, Bills win, Bills cover. It seemed pretty easy to me on this one. I just, I have no faith in the Steelers' offense to score any points this week. I, I have a lot of faith in Mike Tomlin. I've said it before. He's, uh, I think he's a top three coach in the NFL. So, I still think the Bills are going to win and cover the 10 points. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's going to come down to, like you said, how the Steelers' offense does and how the Bills' defense, who has been pretty banged up throughout the year, um, they've played well as of late, and I think it's going to come down to how well they can perform here um, in terms of who's going to come out victorious in this game. Um, moving on, Packers at Cowboys. We have a rematch of the Des Bryant catch game. Um, what, like I, 11 I didn't even later? think about that. That's 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 one of the storylines that we've like like the big one is McCarthy versus the Packers right like man the the Des catch game that, that's good pull I I t- I totally didn't think about it granted I haven't really thought about this matchup at all because I think it's gonna be a blowout but whatever yeah I'm picking this game to be close again too it's just it's hard to pick a blowout in the playoffs and with Dallas fared by seven and a half I get they play really well at home and um you know they they've been pretty hot at home for a while now. Um, so I'm picking the Cowboys to win. I think I think they'll take care of business, but I think the Packers will have some life in them. Um, you know, they've improved really throughout the year, except for a couple games. They look pretty good for the most part. So going with the Cowboys to win, but Packers to cover. I think the Dallas, I think Cowboys win, and, and I think they roll. They're at home. They've won. I think other than the Lions game, they won every home game this year by double digits. Um, Needless to say, the Lions are better than the Packers. I think Joe Barry and his defense are going to get abused this week. Um, I know our popcorn matchup here is CD versus Jair. I hope we see it. I think it'd be a phenomenal matchup if we get it. I'm skeptical of how often CD is actually going to be able to be covered by Jair. I think they move CD around a lot. He's basically in the last you know, eight weeks, ten weeks become just a slot monster. He's running in the slot almost every rep, it feels like now, and he's dominating safeties and linebackers and slot corners. So um, I think the Cowboys win. I think the Cowboys win by, like, this is going to be – I think this is the largest margin of victory the entire week. Um, I think Buffalo wins by 10 or more. I think the Cowboys win by 14 or more in this game. I don't think it's going to be close. Um, Packers are line still banged up. I think the Cowboys defense is going to feast against Jordan Love. Um, this, this, this one seems like the least competitive game to me, which I now understand why it was the kind of the Sunday midday game. Um, I know the Pat Cowboys are a huge name, so they got kind of the bump not being the noon game, but this is going to be competitive in my eyes. I think the Cowboys win Cowboys cover and they were absolutely roll into the uh, divisional round. Um, like I said, CD versus Jair. I hope we get it. CD hardly ever lines up outside anymore. I feel like, and I don't know if Jair is going to follow him into the inside. So, um, given kind of given the weapons that, that Dallas has other kind of elsewhere um, Brandon Cooks has been really big on the stretch for him so um, could see Jair up against Cooks kind of on a deep shot here and there but um, again I hope we get CD versus Jair should be great I just CD's been feasting in the slot way too much lately and the downs that it matters CD's going to be in either 
motioning into the slot or lined up in the slot. So, um, so Cowboys win, Cowboys roll. Yeah, I mean, CD and Jair should be good. Two of two really good players. CD's been great top five this year and set the Cowboys single season receiving yards record. Um, I'm I'm hoping it's close. I don't know if it will be like you said. Uh, it could very easily be a blowout, but I'm I'm picking a close game. I'm hoping it's a close one. Um, moving on to the Sunday night game, um, Rams at Lions. Matthew Stafford's return to Detroit and what and what is Detroit's first division title and home game, home playoff game in a long time. Um, the Lions are fared by three. I picked them to win and cover. I think they win by 10 or so. I just don't think the Rams will have enough on both sides of the ball to keep up. Um, still hoping for a good game. I'm on St. Brown. Uh, look for him to kind of be an X factor. I know Sam Laporta got banged up. Um, so Amonra is going to get some more looks. Um, and yeah, I mean, the Rams are just going to have to consistently keep up offensively with the Lions, and I don't think they do it in Detroit. I want to say pages for this one. Um, I think the Lions win. The Lions cover the three. I know that the huge storyline here is Stafford against the Lions, and and I would love to pick the Rams. I think they are the most dangerous wild card team in the NFC. Uh, while I'm not picking them to win, because it's in Detroit, it's at home. I think this Dan Campbell squad gets it done. I think Ben Johnson has a really good game again um, as as the OC for them. Going to be a head coach somewhere. Um, don't know where yet. But he's going to be a head coach in this cycle, I think. Um, Again, I just I don't know if the Rams offense is going to be able to capitalize as much. And I don't know if their defense can be hold up. They might not be able to hold up in the back end. Their secondary has been kind of skeptical at times. Um and these these lines receivers they have a knack for getting open. And whether or not it's Ben Johnson kind of scheming them open, which I kind of tend to lean that's what it is. Either way, um I really think this team doesn't isn't gonna have it to stick to stick with the Lions. The run game's been dominant. Um and I don't know if the Rams really have the edge setters this year to to hang and stop the run game. Um, popcorn matchup here, another trenches matchup, maybe my favorite one here, um, which is Frank Ragnow versus Aaron Donald. Frank Ragnow being the the Lions center. Um, I think one of the more underappreciated names in the NFL. I know everyone talks about Creed Humphrey and Jason Kelsey and all that. Um, Frank Ragnow is on the same level as those two guys. He's in the same tier as those two centers. One of the best in the NFL. I'm going up against arguably the best defender of the last two decades in the NFL. He's made, again, people will say he's argue he's the greatest of all time. I really need to sit down and look at it. He's easily the, the most accomplished defender in the NFL in the last two decades. Um, him or maybe, I mean, J.J. Watt probably had a better peak, but I think Aaron Donald's a little more you know sustained given the injuries. But um, another conversation. But this can be an awesome matchup. I think these two will see a bunch of each other. They move Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald around a lot, um, trying to get him – Kind of in one-on-one matchups. Um, I hope they get a couple one-on-one matchups here. I think Frank Ragnar is awesome. He's really, really good. Um, so we're going to see kind of where uh, where we get a matchup there, but that should be a really good one. Um, more of an inside interior trenches matchup, not necessarily the edge matchup we usually talk about, but I'm certainly looking forward to this one uh, with Ragnar versus AD. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, these are two teams that you don't really see match up a whole lot. So when you get two elite guys at their position, go one-on-one across from each other. Even though it's not every snap, I think still be a really good matchup. Uh, throughout the game and could be a big deciding factor in the end moving on to the monday night game um so 24 hours later we have the eagles at buccaneers in the nfc wild card eagles are fared by three 
I'm going to go with the Eagles to win in cover. I know the Buccaneers have been playing well. The Eagles have been cold. Um, I think the Eagles turn it around here and at least get themselves one playoff win. Uh, probably eliminate in the divisional round if they win in this scenario. But um, I'm looking forward to this one. It's a different matchup that we don't really see. Um, you know, Bucks winning that really bad division. They're a good team, but they're not like to the talent level of an actual playoff team. And I think the Eagles are going to, you know, give them a lot of difficulties on both sides of the ball, just with the talent and the vet, the vets that they have um, being able to compete. I, I don't know if Baker Mayfield is going to be able to do enough to um, kind of will them to a victory, but a big matchup I'm looking forward to is the Eagles offensive line versus the Buccaneers de- defensive line. Um, obviously the Eagles have a bunch of really good players on that O-line. Um, you just said Jason Kelsey, Landon Dickerson, Lane Johnson, um, and then the Buccaneers have a really good D-line, too. A young one, but some solid guys across the board. Via Vea up front, the rookie Yaya Diaby playing really well also. Um, so looking forward to that one, I think. I'm, I mean, primarily I'm going to see how Baker plays, but I really want to see this Eagles offense versus Bucks defense and um, if the Eagles have a tough time scoring at all. Smile upset pick. I think the Bucks get a win in Tampa. Genuinely, I think the Bucks get a win and the Bucks cover the points. Um, the Eagles are the biggest dumpster fire of all of these playoff teams right now, which is crazy to say because I, I sat there after the season was over, after the draft was over, and said the Eagles did nothing but get better. How are they going to take a step back? And I think I, along with everyone else, overlooked the loss of of Jonathan Gannon and – the loss of Shane Steichen. I don't think anybody really thought that was going to matter because they're so talented, but here we are. And I'm going to bring it up again. Coaching is more important than on-field talent within reason. You you can't have a bunch of UDFAs out there. You're going to lose games, but if you've got comparable or in the same ballpark talent as your opponent and you have a coaching advantage, I'll take the team with a coaching advantage. As long as it's not, you know, Mason Rudolph versus, you know, Pat Mahomes, or in this case, Josh Allen, where I think the Steelers do have a coaching advantage, but I think the Josh Allen quarterback advantage and the rest of the roster advantage is greater than the coaching advantage. When teams are marginally or around the same level of talent, which I think a lot of teams are, give me the coaching advantage every single day. And I think the Eagles lost that edge. I think they, I don't, I think Nick Sirianni is a great leader. I don't know how good of a head coach he is though. We don't really know. He's, this is this is the first adversity he's really faced, and um, they've not handled it well. They gave defensive play calling duties over to Matt Patricia, which was an absolute nightmare decision. I think Eagles fans are just banging their heads against the wall, uh, wanting him to go back to Sean Desai, which just isn't going to happen now. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this goes. I do think the Bucks win, the Bucks cover, and I think the Eagles become – if they lose, the Eagles become the Bill Belichick spot. That's my hot take for the episode. I think if the Eagles lose this game, which I think they're going to, to a Bucks team that is scrappy, they've got Mike Evans, who, by the way, another 13 touchdown season, which was tied to the NFL lead with Tyreek Hill. Mike Evans is ageless. This guy is absurd. Um, Rashad White's had a really good year. The offensive line's been better than expected. Baker, I don't know, man. Baker's done what he's got. He's gotten it done when he's needed it to. So when he's needed to, and, um, defense has played well as of late. They're hot. They got a good win. 
the Eagles are the opposite of hot. Even the Bucks win, Bucks to cover. And I think a lot is going to go wrong in Philly if if the Bucks do win this game. Um, popcorn matchup though: Eagles offensive line versus the Bucks D line. Bucks D line is super deep. Obviously, Vita Vea kind of headlines that group. Um, the Eagles offensive line, obviously, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson headline that group. It should be an awesome matchup there. Um, looking for you know a guy like Kalijah Kansi to have some impact in the in the pat in the in the pass rush game on pass rush downs. So. I'm curious to see how that matchup goes, and that's where the game will be won and lost is on the Eagles off on the Eagles side of the ball with that offensive line versus that Bucks defensive line that's been, I think, quietly flown under the radar for for a couple of years now. Um, especially kind of after that Super Bowl run, I feel like teams kind of overlook that defensive line. So um, give me the Bucks to win in the uh, in the trenches matchup here. Yeah, I mean, all six of these games should be really good. I think across the board, the matchups have are probably better than what we could have expected going into it, just in terms of teams that were supposed to get in the playoffs. There's a good storyline for nearly every game. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, six picks. We differ on two of them. Um, so make sure to look out for those. Um, but yeah, I mean, really Saturday, Sunday, the, you know, the bulk of the games, I like that all the AFC games were played first and then all the NFC games to kind of get the brackets set and not be waiting on one thing while you're watching another thing. I like that it's all at once. Uh, that'll pretty much do it for our wildcard weekend predictions and preview. Moving on here to awards. So we're going to cover seven awards, like I said at the top of the episode. Um, we're going to give our opinion of who should win it and then who we think is going to win it. Um, obviously, difference. Uh, opinions a lot of the time in comparison to who is leading the odds or who gets the votes at the end of the day. Uh, We're going to kick it off here with MVP. MVP has been back and forth really the whole year. Really, I mean, with all the great quarterbacks we have in the game, whether it's been due to injuries or good defenses this year, quarterback play has been down, and it's just surprising that it's been this year is the year that it's down. Um, You know, in terms of touchdown numbers, no one's really up there. I think the leader's at like 32, which isn't great. Um, and that's with having like top three most attempts as well. Every quarterback's been, you know, fairly turnover prone. I think everyone has at least nine picks or eight picks. Um, and then there really haven't been as many quarterbacks that have ran this year. I think Lamar leads the league in rushing and he only has like 700, something 800. Um, you know, normally we see multiple, multiple guys above 700. So I think it's just, Defense is adjusting, starting to adjust as we see the league, you know, convert to more and more dual threat quarterbacks. Uh, But my prediction to win it is Lamar, and I think he's going to win it just because in terms of value, I think he offers more value than anyone else. Like Christian McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill, they both have had incredible seasons stat wise. But if you take them away, I still think they're, you know, they don't lose a ton of value. We saw that when Tyreek got hurt for a week, they still played well. And then when Christian McCaffrey went down or missed a game or even when he wasn't there they were still really good so going with Lamar I think it could go to a few different guys Josh Allen Dak Prescott are also deserving but I think Lamar's going to get it just based off um you know he he hasn't excuse me he hasn't thrown as many interceptions as some other guys and has been you know very versatile valuable um you know, leads the league in rushing for quarterbacks and then had good passing numbers as well, given how many attempts he took. I think Lamar Jackson wins. Lamar Jackson is going to be the winner. I want to, I do want to say this. 
the MVP of the NFL is going to have thrown for less than 3,700 passing yards, which I think speaks to how good Lamar Jackson has been outside of the stat sheet. Down the stretch, he's been the best quarterback in the NFL. He's been the most consistent quarterback in the NFL, I think, all season long. In a year that was, I think, objectively a bad year of quarterback play, the consensus best player in the NFL is largely Patrick Mahomes, who did not have a very good year to his standards. He didn't have a great year, I think, to top quarterback standards, to his standards. I would even say he didn't have a great year for normal quarterback standards, for like just good top five quarterback standards, even top 10 quarterback standards. Wasn't a good year for quarterback play. And again, the, the MVP of the league, and he might be, he might, it, it probably won't be unanimous because a couple people will throw a Brock Purdy vote or a Josh Allen vote. Or you'll, you're going to get a couple Tyreek and CMC votes, which I think they should be getting votes. Had Lamar not done what he did down the stretch, I would be saying this, that it would be Lamar, but it should be CMC or, or, or Tyreek. But he had a phenomenal, a phenomenal last month of the year, which is really what matters for the MVP race. The Ravens had and the Ravens had a really good end of their season, too. That's the other big one. Um, but again, it speaks to how special Lamar's been this year outside of the box score. And in the running game as well. I mean, I don't want to take away from the fact that Lamar's going to have, you know, how many rushing yards going to have this year? I'm trying to, I'm trying to look right. And he only played 15 games, so. Right. Oh, well, he only played 16. Well, I'm, I mean, yeah, he appeared in 16. Fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. No, he played. He played 16 games. Attempted more than 20 passes in all in 16 games. He didn't play week, week 18 in the 17th game. All right. But either way, it doesn't really matter. There's a couple of games with, with, with low numbers, which, again, lends itself to the fact that the Ravens ran the ball really, really well. He's still going to have almost 1,000 rushing yards. Again, it still doesn't speak to the fact of how good Lamar has been outside of the box score, which I think is really what matters. Again, he's going to have 24 passing touchdowns. That We never see that happen. He is going to have less than 30 total touchdowns. And he's... Easily the MVP of the NFL, which, again, I think more and more speaks to how good he's been this year and how you can't just box score watch every game. You can't just box score vote for MVP. So, um, and he's been special this year. He's had a really, really good year. He's going to join a, a, a rare, rare class of, of guys with two MVP awards, um, as he should. I think he's firmly a top five quarterback. I think I know you have. I've firmly said two days as a top five quarterback. Never took him out of the top five. I don't think it was ever fair to take him out of the top five. Um, I think Lamar put a lot of – I got a lot of respect put in his name this year, and it's a pretty easy MVP handout this year for me. Um, next one here, Offensive Player of the Year. Um, I think it should go to Tyreek Hill. I What the Miami offense has not been able, has been able to do or, again, not been able to do without him on the field, I think is telling. And while Christian McCaffrey is kind of in the same light, that offense still has an abundance of talent that isn't Tyreek Hill. I mean, I know Jalen Waddle is a phenomenal receiver for the Dolphins, but like outside of Jalen Waddle, I'm taking every other skill position over what the Dolphins have. And I'm taking the offensive line over what the Dolphins have. So I think taking that into account, I think I'd go Tyreek. Had Tyreek played 16, 17 games, he probably goes to for 2,000, which I think is also ridiculous. Um, how many do we know? I'm trying to remember. Did he play, what, 14 games this year? I'm looking um, on Pro Football Reference right now. I think, to, it was, I think it was 15 or 16. 
played 16 games, but how many games did he actually play in, right? Like, that's the other one. Um, yeah, I mean, he didn't play against Miami, or sorry, against, against, Miami, against the Jets. And then he went out early in a couple games, right? So um, I think he went on early against Tennessee. And then, I, again, I think he he breaks the record if he plays a full season, um, a full healthy season, too. He's banged up for much of the year. I think that's going to be taken into account, the player that he was, the impact that he has. So I think give it to I, I think it's going to be Christian McCaffrey, though. That's my prediction. Um, the numbers are really gaudy. The touchdown numbers are awesome. Um, again, he was also on the best team. He was on the second-best team in the NFL, the best team in the NFC. He was the driving force behind that offense. So I have no problem if he goes to CMC. I think it's two great candidates, two guys I would give MVP votes to. So um, I, I lean Tyreek just because of the impact he's had on the offense and kind of the scarcity on the offense outside of him as opposed to the 49ers. But either way, uh, CMC is a phenomenal winner, and I think it's who it's going to be. Yeah, I agree. I would give it to CMC, and I think he's going to win it. Um, 14.59 rushing yards, 5.64 receiving yards. 21 total touchdowns, 5.4 yards of carry. Um, and he had three fumbles this year, but at the end of the day, he's gotten so many touches to where the percentage really isn't that high. Um, he's just been really valuable in terms of the 49ers being able to change pace and give Brock Purdy just another option. Uh, obviously, they have really good receivers in Debo, Ayuk, Kittle. But Christian's been able to do his own thing out of the backfield, between the tackles, um, really whatever you ask of him. He's been by far the best running back in the league. I know Raheem Mostert's stats have been up there in terms of touchdowns and stuff, but CMC is much more versatile, um, a more complete back, and I think he's really deserving of it. And, uh, I mean, he's just been consistently great going back to his days in Carolina. Um, you know, he missed some time due to injury, but especially since he's been in San Fran, he's been – incredible um so props to him i think he's gonna win it uh i think nfl honors is like the thursday or something before the super bowl so still about a month away or three weeks away from that moving on to defensive player of the year this normally goes to a d lineman uh you rarely see dbs we saw stefan gilmore win it uh, but you rarely see defensive backs win this award i think it should be tj watt uh he had the best stats in the league in a number of different categories for pass rushers um but he got injured the Steelers really aren't a great team uh it's really just a one-man show for him on the back or in that front seven uh so I think it's gonna go to Miles Garrett Miles Garrett's been incredible he's been on one of the best defenses the number one defense in yards per game like I said um so I think he's gonna end up getting it he still had an incredible year I think top three in sacks um He's just a beast one-on-one. Even when you double-team him, he still gets home. Um, so, yeah, I'm going with Miles to win it, but I think it should be T.J. Watt. I'm going to go with that it should be Miles Garrett, and it's going to be Miles Garrett. Um, again, I think T.J. would be a phenomenal winner as well. I think the, I think it should be Miles because, again, the, the Cleveland defense has been the best in the NFL this year, um, and it has started to end it with Miles, and there have been games where Miles has dominated every snap from start to finish. And I think it's, I think he's a better run defender than, than TJ is not that TJ is a bad run defender. I just think miles is a little bit better this year. Um, I also think TJ's won one already. Miles hasn't. That's why it's going to get, going to be given to miles. I think, um, obviously I think we're both picking miles here. Um, I think miles should win it. He's had a really, really good year. Um, I think being leader of, of the best defense in the NFL means something to me. I think, uh, 
again, TJ missed some time too. So I think give it, give it to miles. I think he wins it. Um, and two great candidates this year. Um, surprised Mike Parsons kind of wasn't mentioned by either, either of us, just given <clears throat> the kind of the, the hype he has and the outside of the box score stuff he does for them. But uh, again, give me miles to win. Um, I think he does win and he's who I think should win. Um, next one here is offensive rookie of the year. I think it should be Puka Nakua. He broke a record that stood for, I think over 50 years. And I think the, the way in which he did it was really, really impressive. Um, I mean, it's better than what Justin Jefferson did as a rookie and it's better than what Jamar did as a rookie. So I think that's, I thought I kind of thought Puka was, I still think a little bit. He was the beneficiary of a great of a great situation, but for 17 weeks, he, he's not just the beneficiary of being in a, in a phenomenal situation for 17 weeks. I mean, the guy was from week one to weeks 18 a stud all year. So I ha, I have a hard time taking that away from him, um, and not giving it to him despite how good CJ was. CJ missed a couple games. Doesn't really bother me that much as he missed a couple of games. I just think, again, Puka being as good as he was for 17 weeks of the year, for 17 games, um, and it's really impressive. And, again, you break records as a rookie. You break records that have stood for that long as a rookie. I think there's got to be something to be said for it, and you've got to get an award. Um, I don't think it's going to go to C.J. Stroud, though. I think, to a lesser extent, it reminds me of the Justin Jefferson-Justin Herbert conversation. I think the situation there was Herbert broke records. He was a quarterback. Justin Jefferson also had a phenomenal rookie year, broke some Randy Moss Vikings records, didn't break some NFL records, though. So I think that's why it was given to Herbert. I still think it's going to be given to a quarterback. It's a quarterback-biased award. It always has been. It always, it's always going to be, similarly to MVP. Um, again, I think it should be Puka. I think it's going to be CJ. I think the fact that he got them to the playoffs is going to give a lot of voters reason to vote for him. And I have no problem if CJ wins. It, it coin flip for these two guys for me. Um, both are deserving. I think both sh- – could and should win. Ultimately, I think I think CJ wins, despite I think Puka has a little bit of an edge in my mind, at least. Yeah, I mean, both these guys are deserving, I think. I think CJ, or I want, I want CJ to win. I think he should win, but I honestly think it's going to be Puka or CJ. Um, could they, you know, one of those real two quick, guys. could they do like a co-rookie of the year? I don't, I don't know. Didn't they do like a co-something a couple years ago? Like a co-offensive player of the year or something like that? I, I could be wrong. May have. I I don't. I honestly, I thought I saw something about it. I do, I don't remember. Um, kind of been doing everything, a bunch of stuff recently. It's been busy, but I, I'm trying to remember if they have. I don't know if they have or not. This would be the perfect award to do it though, if they wanted to give them both out, right? So, but right. I'll, let you, I'll let you continue. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Stroud, what he did coming in to not really good roster. I mean, they, you know, all their best players primarily are rookies or second year guys. Uh, taking that team to the playoffs after they had, you know, the second pick last year is just incredible. I know Puka had record-breaking stats in a number of different categories for rookies. But if, you know, Jamar and Justin Jefferson got the targets he got, they would have beat him. Um, he got a ton of targets. He's also in a great system. McVay is one of the best play callers. Stafford is normally the QB responsible for all these receivers, all these receiver records. Uh, looking back to Cooper Cup, Calvin Johnson. Um, and having Cooper Cup on the other side of the field from you most of the game doesn't hurt as well um, for Puka. So incredible year from him, no doubt, but I just think CJ is more deserving bringing his team to the playoffs. I don't think P- Puka did as much for his team as CJ did. And, um, you know, for them to take him at second overall and 
him come in and perform all year and only miss a couple games due to a concussion. Put up really good stats for most of the year. Uh, you know, f- through the first eight weeks, he was leading in a few different categories. He just had a real strong, consistent year. Um, you know, one of the most consistent QBs in the league, I think. And, you know, a league obviously loaded with quarterbacks. So really good rookie class offensively overall. But I think uh, C.J. Stroud should win it. Defensive rookie of the year, though. Um, some really, really good guys drafted across the board, especially in the top 10. Um, Will Anderson Jr., I think should win it. He had a really good year for Houston as well. I mean, I just said on the offensive side of the ball, the young guys, but defense has some young guys led by Will on the edge in that front seven. Um, I think it's going to be Jalen Carter. I think Jalen Carter had better stats. I know they haven't been as good as of late, but normally the Eagles defense has been pretty solid. Um, I think Jalen Carter's like win rates and uh, what he did from the interior were a little bit better. Uh, Will Anderson's still been really valuable to that team. Um, they felt his absence, you know, when he missed a game a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I'm, I think this one is going to be close. I don't know who's going to get what votes. I think it could go either way, but I think Jalen Carter is going to win it. Um, but I'd be giving it to Will Anderson. I'm going to give it to Will. I think it, I think it's going to be Will. I think the edge rusher gets the bump over the over the interior defensive lineman. It just it's easier to quantify what Will's done, which I think voters care about, right? Is is the quantification of what someone's done. I know I talked about how Lamar's numbers weren't traditional MVP numbers, if you will, but like when you quantify, it, he's still better than most of the quarterbacks in the NFL when you quantify his numbers, right? So um, I think it's hard to quantify what Jalen Carter has done, despite the fact that I think he's been an absolute stud for them. Um, I also think Will's just played more downs. He's been more impactful. Jalen hasn't played it because they, they you rotate interior, interior defense alignment a lot. That Eagles team rotates a lot of guys. I think Will's just done more for his team as a rookie, if that makes sense. Um, again, I also think being a part of a culture change like that, what happened in Houston, it's intangible, but that matters to me, I think. Um, I think it should matter to voters, too. So I think Will wins. I think Will should win and is going to win. I think, again, I think the edge group, all else equal, I think the premier, the premium position gets the bump here, which I think is what happens. Um, comeback player of the year. I'm going to go Joe Flacco should win it because he, you know, there's really, no, there's no known criteria for this award. Like even the top of the top of NFL media, like there, there's no known criteria. So it's kind of just like the voting happens and we hear who wins. So um, I think it should be Flacco. He didn't really play at all last year. I don't think he, I don't think he started a game last year. Uh, No, he started one or two games for the Jets, right? One or two games? I don't remember. But he started so. a couple games. Maybe one game at a minimum. Um, there should be Flacco because he's been on an absolute tear to end the season and took that team to a 12-5 and record and into the playoffs. However, it's going to be DeMar Hamlin. I think everyone knows that. Which, listen, I don't really have a huge problem with. I think Flacco should win, but, like, I'm not going to call it virtue signaling because, like, that seems disingenuous to call it that. But it's borderline virtue signaling from the NFL to give DeMar Hamlin the award. Um, listen, what happened with DeMar is, is special and I'm, I'm so glad he's okay. And he's been able to play, but like DeMar's also like a borderline, like he's, he's like inactive sometimes on game day. Like he's an edge of the 53 man roster type of guy. And Joe Flacco started in one, a lot of games for Cleveland this year when they were trotting out DTR when Watson got hurt. And he's been better than he's been so much better than what Deshaun Watson did for them this year. 
which is a whole other conversation we can have. But I, I it's good. It's going to be DeMar Hamlin. Just that's kind of how it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I get DeMar Hamlin, what he went through to get back and uh, what happened. And it's a great Huge story. Don't get me wrong. It's, yeah, a, it's mean, a phenomenal story. Yeah, for him to be able to come back and just be eligible to play at all this year, let alone the whole year. Um, I mean, but yeah, like you said, he's not he's not an impact guy. The comeback player of the award is supposed to be a guy that didn't have a big year last year, whether it was due to injury or whatever. It's basically a most improved player in NFL terms. And I think for Joe Flacco to be able to come back, you know, 17th year or whatever, 16th year and ball out, and yeah, he's still been turnover prone, but he's been really solid for the most part. And he's willed that team to the playoffs. I mean, if they didn't have Joe Flacco come in and play well, they probably aren't in the playoffs. They might still been able to fight for a wild card spot in that final week. But I mean, locking up the five seed with a couple weeks to go was big. And I just think that he did so much for that team. I know they have a good defense and they still have some good playmakers on offense. He did so much for that team that I think you can't really put in the same conversation as what DeMar went through just because it's really two completely different awards. Exactly. And I think I think what they could do is give Joe this and then give DeMar like the Walter Payton Man of the Year because I think he's their nominee. I believe um, he is. So I think – I mean he has done a ton in the community. I see stuff fairly frequently about uh, what he's doing, as you do most of the Walter Payton nominees. But, I mean – the Walter Payton Man of the Year is really just a random guy. They all do pretty similar things around the community. They kind of just pick a guy that maybe hasn't won it before. And it's um, always and it's always a guy who's a big name. It's always a right. big name. Which listen, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna yeah. crap on. It's just that's kinda how it is. But yeah. Yeah, I, I most definitely think that if they wanted to give Joe Flacco the comeback player, then you know, you give DeMar the Walter Payton and I think that'd be huge. Um but yeah, I think it should be Joe Flacco, but it's going to be DeMar. I think he's had the best odds from the jump, and it's just for him to be able to come back, they're going to give it to him. I will say an option for them – well, I don't know, an option. Well, th- they should have a most improved player, which I think, again, maybe it's Flacco, maybe it isn't. But um, to your point, like, yeah, the Browns have a really good defense and some really good like offensive playmakers. Doesn't that sound like the Jets to you? Jets are a dumpster fire. Yeah. The Jets, God knows how they beat the they beat the Pats to end the year because the Pats are one of the worst teams in the NFL. They're a dumpster fire. The Browns are twelve and five. They looked like the Jets when they had DTR out there. So, and that leads to the I don't know. It's just another point I wanted to th- I thought of when you were talking about the whole yeah they have a good defense blah blah blah. But what Joe's done, you're hundred percent right. They do have a good defense. They do have weapons. But what Joe has done to drive that into the playoffs as the quarterback and manage that thing is really impressive. So um, like you said, they, they should have a most improved player award. Maybe we'll give one out next week. I don't know. Um, Coach of the year. Uh, I think it should be Kevin Stefanski for the Joe Flacco reason. Joe Flacco in the game he played last year looked exactly like you think he'd look at age 38 or 37, whatever he is now. And Kevin Stefanski, I'm looking like a pro bowler. So give it to Kevin Stefanski. The way he dealt with the quarterback injuries is really impressive. They're 12 and 5. It's absolutely absurd. So give it to Stefanski. Um, although they're a 
a multitude of candidates, I would be very happy if it went to. I think the guy you're going to talk about is the guy that I would be very happy if it went to. I think he's abundantly deserving. I just for what had the way Cleveland finished the season and the way they looked with another backup quarterback in last week, give it to Stefanski. He's been an absolute my madman this year. And that's who's yeah, gonna win it, by the way. Just right. gonna win it. I think Stefanski's gonna win it and he's had a great year, obviously, you know, going through all those quarterbacks, young guys dealing with Deshaun Watson, his multiple injuries, um, dealing with Nick Chubb going down, Brandon Kareem Hunt, Jerome Forbes kind of ascension to being a really good player um them dealing with uh, elijah moore um deal and still playing really well with amari cooper granted they have a really good o-line their defense has been consistently good um you know they constantly bring in good dbs it seems like from newsome to ward to delpit um but i think it should be D'Amico ryan's for what he's done not only because he willed a team and he led a team from the second overall pick to a division winner and a playoff team hosting a playoff game, but he also hired a staff. And I think a lot of people overlook that in terms of your award is he brought in this whole staff in one off season and they were all the right hires. I mean, across the board, OC and Bobby Slowick, um, you know, he calls the defense, but they've been really solid. Special teams has been good. Um, I think they had a kick return this year. And I think their kicker's been pretty solid as well. So props to them on all levels uh, for what he's been able to do and what he's been able to build the roster with and um, put the right guys around each other, put the right coaches around the players. I think it's just all gelled perfectly for them. And if C.J. Stroud didn't miss a game, they'd probably be the three seed. Um, Yes, unfortunately, they did miss time, but, I mean, it wasn't the only team that affected but i think it should go to him just what he's done across the board this year but nonetheless um you know a bunch of deserving coaches i think sean mcveigh is another guy that's deserving for what shane he's been Stuy- able to do shane Steichen, despite the fact they missed the playoffs i think right should get right. votes and probably will yep and i think yeah like i said there's a bunch of guys that deserve votes i would even say john harbaugh should get some votes He's he's gonna get votes because they were the best team in the NFL this year. So like he's gonna get votes, but not that he should win it, but he'll get some votes. There's a lot of deserving coaches this year. You know who's not? Brandon Staley. He's out of a GD job. All right, I'm done. I'm done with the negativity today. We'll be positive the rest of the time. Um, hey, Giff Smith could earn some votes for his um, adherence to the draft culture. Listen, brother, brother, build the Giff Smith statue immediately. I mean, build it today. Build it yesterday. Build him the statue yesterday. And while we're at it, how about we maybe send a strike team to rough up Matt Prater a little bit for missing those kicks? Because now Marvin Harrison Jr. can't be a charger. Whatever. Yeah, no, build the Giff Smith statue yesterday. Actually, he's going to be on the team still. He's going to, he's going to be uh, retained, so that I do know. I'm usually not supposed to, like, spill the information that I get given from some folks that I know. I'll spill this one. Giff Smith is 100% staying with the Chargers. Um, it would be a shock to me if he doesn't. I, like, the Ryan Thicken thing that I was told months ago that he's going to stay and he's going to stay with regime change, that was made evident to everyone yesterday when they blocked the Giants from interviewing him yesterday, so he's staying. But yeah, Gibbs Smith's going to be staying. There's mutual desire for him to be a part of the a part of the team. Um, there's basically talk that if they do hire Ben Johnson, because they're considering him as a candidate, um, this isn't from like 
the Spanos family, but like those within the building, if they if they miss on Harbaugh, the general thought is Ben Johnson's their next best candidate. And if they do hire Ben, they would basically hire Ben and make Giff the associate head coach as well as the defensive line coach um, to kind of keep that steady veteran presence in the building. And a, and a guy that the team loves, they love, they respect, they they played like hell for. Um, and when we saw, I mean, they, they should they, they almost won that last game. Giff Smith told Derek, he got on the mic, told Derek Haynes, like, hey, you got to dial up some Brandon Staley-esque defense and let Blaine Gabbert sling this thing around and get down the field and win the game. And sure enough, Giff, Giff got on the mic and did so and let him know it was good. So, yeah, build the Giff statue. Um, that kind of does segue us into the coaching carousel discussion. Um, we're recording this Thursday midday. Wednesday, January 10th was without question it, that we will never see. We have never seen. We will never see a crazier day of coaching news. Started starts off with Pete Carroll retires. Well, was forced to retire, basically. Um, it is now an advisor for the Seahawks. Then Nick Saban, out of the blue, retires. What? Yeah. And then it was basically known, like, hey, Bill had his talk with Kraft today. Expect some news in the next couple, you know, 12 hours. And then this morning when, the, when dawn broke, basically, on the East Coast, when the day begun – he was, you know, their parting ways. So, um, pretty insane. Vrabel got fired yesterday too. Yesterday, no, day before. Yeah, yeah day before. Um, so yeah, crazy day. Three of the the best coaches in the last 25 years in the entire sport. Um, not saying the three best, but three of the best of the last two decades, two and a half decades, retired yesterday. Um, well, I mean, Bill. Not retiring, he'll still coach, but you get the point. Um, these guys are no longer where they've been. For Pete, he's no longer – this is the first time he's really been fired. Um, he left SC on his own accord, impending some NCAA you know, uh, allegations and, and, and kind of consequences coming from them. But a pretty crazy day. Uh, we will never see anything like that, I don't think, again. Um, I mean, Nick Saban's – Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are arguably the greatest ever in their respective domains. Right. So I would argue they are, frankly. That said, keep Bill Belichick away from the Chargers. He's not the coach he was. So we'll get to that discussion in a second. But um figure we'll start with the NFL stuff, finish with college like we started. Um we'll go to the NFL coaching carousel. Um Raiders, Panthers, Chargers, Commanders, Patriots are all coaching jobs that also have GM openings, and then the Falcons, Titans, and Seahawks are coaching jobs only. Um, I'm not mistaken about the Falcons, right? They don't have a they they still have their GM, correct? Correct. Okay, that's why I didn't know if I missed anything because I was I actually missed the Nick Saban news when it happened. I was in class, I have a three hour class on Wednesday afternoon, and I missed it. So I was like like 30 minutes late to the reaction, but whatever. I didn't know if I missed that, but yeah. So of our what is this two, four, six, eight openings, five uh, have GM openings as well, which is I think of note. Um, so I'll let Brett kick us off. We'll start with uh, we'll go we'll go in twos here. It feels feels right. Um, or no, we'll just we'll alternate. We'll just go one back and forth, uh, or we can yeah. go in twos, whatever it is. We can go twos, and then you take two, I take two, but we can comment before we get to our next two. How we usually do things, uh, but we'll go in twos here. So, Brett, if you want to get the first first couple on the list here, these are in order of when they opened, um, the order in which they, they kind of op- – the jobs open. So, um, Raiders are going to be first. Pats will be last. So, I'll let Brett take it away, though. 
Yeah, no, I mean, Raiders opened about halfway through the year. Josh McDaniel uh, clearly wasn't the guy there for them, and uh, they promoted from within uh, interim head coach Antonio Pierce. Been an incredible addition or really promotion for them. Uh, what he's been able to do in basically instantly for them without have without having the chance to build a culture, um, you know, just in the time of a week, being able to have a team turn around and play a game and look like a completely different team. Frankly, since he got there, they looked like a playoff team, a team that could could have made a wild card. And if he was there for the whole year, I think they would have been right there contending with the Steelers and um, those other wild card teams for a spot. And I, really what he was able to do was huge. I think um, they're around 500 while he was coaching. Um, you know, still not a great roster, but they still have some stars. Um, and just from bringing that team together that looked so disconnected the first half of the year, what he was able to do um, – I think that I think they should hire him. I don't see how you don't. You can't mess it up twice because if you look back a few years ago, before they hired Josh McDaniel, um, they fired John Gruden obviously um, due to some off the field stuff. But uh, they promoted Rich Passaccia, and he, um, in a similar fashion, appears was a really good coach and didn't get an opportunity there. Um, went elsewhere, but um, they have to hire Pierce. I think I don't know how you mess it up. Uh, like I said twice. But, um, yeah, you never know what can happen with Mark Davis. And, I mean, they're going to do their due diligence and interview a bunch of guys, but I think it should be him at the end of the day. Listen, the Raiders should, without question, hire Antonio Pierce full-time. But it would be very on brand for Mark Davis to screw this up. So, um yeah, I, I still think Antonio Pierce is the guy here. It's hard to ignore when you've got Max Crosby and Devontae Adams pounding on your door telling you to hire Antonio Pierce. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Like, that's just the biggest two names. I'm talking about the entire roster wants this guy. They are there is a I will say this. It's been reported there's a sense within the ownership room from Mark Davis that, that he screwed it up, not keeping Rich Bisaccia like the players wanted the first time. They brought in McDaniels and it was horrendous. It was terrible. It didn't work. Don't screw it up again is the thought, right? Don't do it again. So I think they hire, I think they do hire Antonio Pierce at least for a year. Listen, if it doesn't work, they're not in a Super Bowl window anyways. If it doesn't work, I don't know, take your swing on a quarterback this year. Or if it doesn't work, hey, how about you just suck this year and get your quarterback next year? Now, I would hate it. Personally, I would love it if they drafted Bo Nix because that, that homie's not going to be any lead enough of quarterback. Let's just get that clear. Spoiler alert for the quarterback episode in March. Homie's not going to be an elite quarterback. Let's, let's just put that out there to the universe now. So you can either suck this year or take your swing now. And if Antonio Pierce isn't a good head coach, get rid of him in a year. Don't, don't pay him a bunch of money. Um. So I still think, despite my reservations, that Mark Davis does screw this up again. I think Antonio Pierce is the head coach here. So, oh, and they gotta make a they gotta make a GM hire. So, couldn't tell you. Right. I know about yeah. I know like about the GM candidates. I could tell you about ten of them probably because the Chargers are hiring a GM, but I couldn't tell you what they're what the Raiders are gonna do. They, they interviewed Tom Telesco, so that's hilarious. I hope, I, listen, I hope they hire Tom Telesco. That'd be they would have zero draft depth. They'd have, they'd have no roster depth, and they'd be in, you know, it would be hilarious. But they're not going to, I don't think. But, but yeah. yeah, I mean, GMs, 
I don't really know a whole lot about other than, you know, a couple guys that the Ravens might lose um, to be in, become a GM for another team. But, yeah, I mean, GM and head coaching openings in the same offseason are always tough to bounce back from and produce in year one just with a brand new culture, a brand new um, identity. Moving on to another team that has to go through that is the Carolina Panthers, the team that was the worst team in the league for the entire year. Um, you know, I, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago. They lost seven, and then they won one a couple times this year. Um, and, you know, having to lose seven before you can win a game is not going to work in the NFL. And I think at the end of the day, the Panthers have much more issues to deal with than coach a head coach. Um, they have um, – poor coordinators they you know whoever comes in as head coach better know some guys that know some guys because they need some pretty good coaches across the board position groups um coordinators like i said head coach and then need a good gm as well um i know they've interviewed a bunch of guys including both the ravens coordinators i think mike mcdonald this would be the place he would go carolina if they were to go in that direction um, obviously things didn't work out with Frank Reich. I don't know if that, um, leads them, leads to them being more reluctant to hire an offensive coach. Um, I don't think it should be, but it might. Um, I think they could really go any way here. A ton of, uh, options similar to really any other team, a lot of the same candidates. Um, but yeah, I think they get one of the better candidates on the market. Well, I don't know kind of what. So this is clearly like Ben Johnson is their top candidate. I think he was their top candidate last year, and he didn't take any jobs. My theory is that it's similar to what Brian Dable did. Brian Dable was the clear top candidate on the market for the coordinator route, right, in 2021. He didn't take a job because he wanted – most of the jobs he interviewed for didn't have a GM opening. And he wanted Joe Shane to go with – he wanted to have his choice of GM wherever he went which wasn't going to be an option with the viable jobs in 21. So he took the job in 22 with Shane, with with Joe Shane in New York. So that's kind of my theory with Ben Johnson is that he wanted a job to take one of the couple candidates in the, in the Detroit front office with him. Here's the thing though. <laughs> the Panthers job is not just, Hey, come coach Bryce young and rebuild this thing. It's, hey, you have to work for David Tepper, which has proven to be a vast challenge for every coach who's stepped into that room, into that job. So I'm really skeptical that Ben takes this job because of how selective he's been. He's a Everything points towards he's going to go to Carolina. He's a Carolina native. Dave Tepper's going to open the checkbook no matter what. And he's an offensive head coach, and they should be hiring an offensive coordinator to work with Bryce Young. At a minimum, an offensive-minded head coach to work with Bryce Young. Um, I st- just part of me says this is Ben Johnson. Part of me says he's going to steer steer away clear of this because it's an absolute nightmare. So, um, my, I think the I think they they inter- there's ru- there's rumors that they like Kellen Moore a lot for this job. I believe he's the betting favorite to take that job. Um. Yeah, the, the the odds I'm looking at right now are Kellen Moore's plus 200, Ben Johnson's plus 400, Ben McDonald's plus 500. So, um, Belichick maybe be an option for here for him if they kind of miss on 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 Ben Johnson. 
Um, I think Kellen Moore takes this job, though. It would be a job that I don't think he maybe is qualified for, but um, would certainly be a job that I think Dave Tepper would extend to him. So we'll see what happens with Ben. Um, I think it's one of those two guys, though. Um, Next one here. Los Angeles Chargers looking for a head coach and a GM here. Um, They have interviewed a multitude of candidates. Um, I actually have a tweet right here that says who they've interviewed. Um, I know they've interviewed Kellen Moore and Giff Smith, the two guys within the building. Um, Leslie Frazier interviews on Sunday. Former, I don't even think he's with a team right now, is he? I don't believe so. I don't think he's with a team. He's not. He took a year off the NFL. Um, Leslie Frazier interviews Sunday. Brian Callahan interviews Tuesday. I think Steve Wilkes will interview probably Monday, if I had to guess. Maybe if I interviewed him um, for their head coaching job. And I think if you can pick up the pick up on the kind of similarities between two of the court, two of the candidates, they are minority candidates. And um, we can have a Rooney rule discussion if we want to. I think the spirit of the Rooney rule is great. I think the way that it, it is actually carried out is not the right way to go about it. I think the NFL has a, it's a lot of flaws with that rule. I think the way in which the NFL rewards teams for hiring minority candidates is wrong. I think that rewarding teams that always is a little bit of a slippery slope to me. Um, I think it lends itself to illegitimate hiring of minority candidates, which is the opposite of the goal here. Um, and I think there are, and they're making the effort to do development, which is, I think is where this needs to go. Um, regardless, the code, the chargers are going to be interviewing two, I would say not qualified, not that they're not qualified, just they're not hot names. They're not coached guys who are going to get hired as minority candidates, which have your own opinion on how you think that's right or not. I mean, I think it's a little bit screwed up. But again, that that's that's the way the NFL has made this work. So it's on the NFL that you're having minority candidates get interviewed that are basically just having their time wasted. Um, I think it's I think it's the opposite of what they want. But again, the, the way they've set this up is the way that it's going to go. So um, because I think they I think they are going to end up hiring Jim Harbaugh. Um, he's not my first candidate, my first choice. My first choice would be Ben Johnson, but um, the team clearly wants to get an experienced hire. The rumor is that, that they are the preferred landing spot for Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is far and away their number one candidate. Um, I don't know if they've interviewed Jim or not yet. I think we, I don't think we will know who Jim interviews with until the contract, like the decision's done. Um, I think Jim wants to keep it quiet. I think Jim wants to respect the fact that they just want a natty at Michigan. I think he wants to respect the players and the, and the staff there and keep it quiet until he does take a job. Um, so there's that. I know that they're going to interview a whole bunch of candidates. They're supposed to at least. I don't know if they end up interviewing Ben Johnson or not. I think I think the first chance they get to hire uh, Jim Harbaugh within the, the confines of the Rooney Rule they're going to. So, um, yeah, I think this is Harbaugh's job until it isn't. That's kind of my my read. I, I was I made a hot take a week ago that Jim Harbaugh was going back to Michigan. And then literally that afternoon and then that day and the next day, more smoke than we've ever seen came billowing out of the the Jim Harbaugh to the NFL chimney. So um, I think he's going to the NFL. I think he's going to the Chargers. Um, 
If they don't, I don't know where they pivot. It sounds like Ben Johnson's their next option, but I don't know if he'd take the LA job, to be frank. Um, GM hiring, don't really know. I, I, there's a lot of names I'm throwing around. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to dictate who the GM is. So, um, yeah, I think that's how it goes for the Chargers. And those a little bit long-winded. I will not be that long-winded on the rest of them. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's it's th- their mindset I think right now is Jim Harbaugh or bust. And I think that's ultimately what they're going to have. They're going to do is hire Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean, okay, pretty short. I think it's going to be Jim. It seems like it has been pretty much from the get-go that, you know, we really thought Jim would leave for the NFL again. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be him. I think, obviously, there's a slew of other candidates that could fit that role as well. But I think he'll probably be the most impactful one. I think it'll be a good hire for them. He is, by the way, he is minus betting odds right now to be the next head coach. Yeah. Yeah. So Vegas knows – I don't know if Vegas knows anything, but they are – he is minus betting odds. Um, and they've they've gotten further and further negative as the um, as as the the kind of the days have gone on. So that it's more and more right. likely he's going to be there. So that's take that for what you will. Right. And I think there is some weight to that in terms of guys that are you know kind of what directions teams are trending and candidates are trending. Um, moving on here to a team that doesn't have a GM opening but still fired their head coach in the Atlanta Falcons, Arthur Smith. Um, was fired after they got blown out um, by the Saints in a game that was pretty funny in itself. Uh, the Saints caught interception at the end, a meaningless throw uh, on the Falcons' part, which I don't know why they did that. They can complain about the Saints scoring a touchdown, but they were trying to score apparently a 30-point touchdown with a minute left. Um, we had a throw pick. The Saints run it back to like the two. Um, the Saints already up 41-17. to Um you know, lineup and victory formation, and then they uh, basically fake Neil and uh, hand it off to Jamal Williams, and he scores to make it 48-17. Obviously, um, I, I don't like that they lined up in victory and ran it. If you're gonna run it, just line up and run it. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't care about letting up points or whatever. I mean, this is the NFL. I'm not gonna tell teams to kneel it and just take the win and leave. If you want to run it up, run it up. Another team has to find a way to stop you. Um, so that was that. And then Arthur Smith obviously Arthur Smith obviously heated post game about that. Um, I know, will I will Allen. say, don't line up in. I have no problem with the run and score up. Right. Don't line up in to knee it down. And granted, like Dennis Allen didn't know, right? Like he. Right. My issue, the reason I think Arthur Smith was 100 percent right to be pissed was because. Don't line it up. Don't line up in in, in knee down formation and hand it off. That's yeah, I, I don't like that. That's that's horrendous. And that and that's gonna come back to bite them. Just so we're clear, teams are not gonna forget that. But again, yeah, run the score up. I don't care. Yeah, I don't think teams really care if you run the score up. Had they punched it in regularly, I don't know if Arthur Smith's pissed at all. Don't line up and, and, and kneel down. Listen, if you're James, you want to run a play, line up in I formation, run dive. Run duo. It's the most basic run play you can run is duo or or just basic zone. Don't don't come out in in victory formation and hand it off. That's the issue. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they did what they did. It was a team decision per Jameis Winston's post game presser. Add um, it to the list of of Jameis content, right? I mean, this is right. The, the uh, press conferences he had over the past few days, or the pat the few press conferences following that. Um, are a fun watch if you want to check it out. Hilarious. But 
it was not Dennis Allen's choice. Dennis Allen did opt to kneel it. They opted in another direction. However, it all resulted in Arthur Smith um, getting canned. I think that was the right move for the Falcons. I mean, three straight years, they've been, what, seven and ten. They've picked eight overall now. Um, and that's not going to get you anywhere, especially even in that horrible division. They still didn't win the division. Uh, it's not going to get you anywhere in the grand scheme of the NFL playoffs either. Um, but I will say, I think this is a good job. Um, obviously, eighth overall pick, you can opt you know, or at least have a big say in what direction they go with quarterback, whether you want to trade for a vet or trade for a guy, sign a vet, draft a rookie at eight. They are in a kind of they are in a tough spot. There might be three quarterbacks gone by the time they pick unless they trade up. Just given how quarterbacks normally go, teams trade up for him. Um, it's not always as black and white as it may seem in the draft order. Oh, this team's going to pass this team. This guy will be there. Um, but I will say. Um, I, I think they hire a defensive coach. I think this is one of the more likely spots for a defensive coach. So all those defensive candidates out there, th- they're interviewing, look for those guys, one of them to maybe get a call, second interviews, something like that. Um, but, yeah, I think this is one one position that will be more um, more likely to have a defensive head coach. Brother, this is the Bill Belichick spot. He, he's a, he, was a, he is a falcon. You know Arthur Blank and his 85-year-old ass – wants bill belichick in there so bad you know he so it was reported today that that they are the favorite or that that he is their top candidate no questions asked um shocker they fired their head coach literally as soon as they could like it the clock struck midnight on the east coast and they fired arthur smith frankly i respect it i mean they were swift about it right they were swift so there's a it, it cannot be a coincidence that they have had absolutely zero coaching interview requests since that they were the first team to fire their head coach outside of the regular after the regular season had closed. Officially, the, the, the official day after the regular season had ended, they immediately fired the head coach like like midnight and zero seconds. The tweet was fired off, ready, ready, ready to go. They fire Arthur Smith and. They've interviewed. They've requested interviewed nobody. It can't be a coincidence, first of all. And then it gets reported that he's their top choice. If Bill, and the question is if Bill wants Atlanta or not. Right. Me personally, Bill Belichick and Atlanta don't don't see that sounds like water and oil doesn't really mix. But hey, but hey, weirder things have happened, and I don't really think Bill doesn't really have a market. The Chargers, the Raiders. First, it was the Commanders reported that the Commanders really weren't interested. And the Chargers and the Raiders were even less interested. Like, they had no desire in bringing him in. Whether that's true, I guess we're going to find out in the next three weeks. But didn't really seem like he has a – I don't think he has a market. I don't think the Seahawks are going to hire him. Titans don't strike me. Like, they're going coordinator 100%. They're getting younger. Panthers are a Bill Belichick spot potentially. But, I, I like, it's it's got to be Atlanta to me. Like, it's Atlanta and then it's kind of everybody else. So, I think I think he ends up in Atlanta. Because that's that's who wants him the most. Um, don't think it'll go well. I mean, I think Bill is Bill's flaws lie in the fact that he is too faithful to his coordinators who are not very good, and that's ultimately what it is. Outside of like the GM stuff, which he said he would take a step back from, like he's a terrible GM. Don't get me wrong, horrible. 
his coaching flaws lie in the fact that offensively he's stuck with Tom. He think he's stuck still thinking he wants to have Tom Brady and no one's Tom. They've got to innovate and they haven't. And they, and they clearly are not going to because Josh McDaniels is going to be his OC. So, or it'll be Matt Patricia, which would be an even worse decision. Like he made that decision and stood 10 toes down on it. Horrible. So yeah, I mean, this is Bill's job. I think. It's Bill's job if he wants it. Um, I think he ultimately will. Um, next one here, Commanders, uh, looking for a head coach and a GM. Easily the fastest moving team on the GM front, understandably. <clears throat> they want to get their GM hired quick. Their two finalists are Adam Peters, who is the assistant general manager in San Francisco, and Ian Cunningham, who I believe is either director of, of, of uh, player personnel or the assistant GM in Chicago. Um, I will clarify that now. He is the assistant general, yeah, assistant general manager in um, in Chicago. Uh, highly sought after guy. Came over with Ryan Poles. Um, two, but they're probably the two. I think they're the two top candidates. Not my top candidate, like like if you like the like the consensus list, it's probably those two at the top with Peters and Cunningham. Um, so they're going to hire one of them. It's a good move from them. I don't know what they're going to do at head coach. <clears throat> if I had to pick one of these on the list, I think this makes the most sense for Ben Johnson. Like from a money will be there. He'll get to bring. Well, I guess he won't get to bring his GM. I didn't think about that. Um, yeah, I don't know what this is going to be. I thought I still think it might be Ben Johnson. He may not care about having a GM from Detroit. Um, and, the, and the I don't know. We can still see a finalist, a different finalist come in, but. Um, on paper, this looks like a good job for Ben. I'm going to get the number two overall pick, so Caleb or Drake. <clears throat> There's some building blocks there offensively with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. Um, There's a lot to kind of re- be rebuilt around all that stuff. Um, so I, if it's not Ben, um, I could even see them going with like a Mike McDonald. I think they're going to go coordinator. Um, <clears throat> I don't think they are a Bill Belichick spot because they, they weren't really that interested um, and the other experienced head coach in the market is going to one place and one place only. So I'm not even going to mention his name until we get to the last spot. Yeah, I mean, commanders are attractive coaching position. Maybe, you know, one of the most attractive, just given they have a second overall pick. New ownership, um, possibly a new name and a new location, new stadium. Um, you know, a lot of new around, you know, around the DMV area for them. And I think. They have a lot of opportunities. They have good players on that roster and, um, you know, not really any great players outside of McLaurin, but they need to draft well and they need to sign some guys. They have the most cap space in the league at like 85 or something. So no reason not to bring in a lot of right guys, a lot of the correct um, rebuilding pieces this offseason. And it starts with uh, the GM and coaching hire. And I think, I'm not asking them to make the playoffs next year, but they can very easily be competitive, have a pick around 14-15, and I think that'd be a successful year for them. Uh, first year under really new ownership, and then um, you know all the new quarterback, coach, GM, like I said. Um, so yeah, a lot a lot of candidates for them. I think Ben Johnson would make a lot of sense if he didn't go to Carolina. But moving on to the Titans here. Just a coaching opening for them. Um, you know, really the whole coaching staff, obviously, with the head coach being gone. Mike Vrabel, Tennessee Titans, after six years, parted ways. Um, he was fairly successful in Tennessee. I think just his main thing was that they were consistent. They weren't ever, like, really bad. 
I know they had what, like the seventh pick or something, but they really didn't have a great roster and he was a consistently steady and good coach for them and led them, led them to the playoffs multiple times. And I'm not sure what direction they're going to go in here, given that they have a bunch of young guys on that roster. Um, You know, they have some good players, but not enough to be a contender. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, Excuse me, not the best division, but um, but yeah, there's a there's a bunch of different guys, obviously a lot of the same names, and I'm not sure if they would go offense or defense. I th- I think this is Bobby Slovic and nobody else. Um, they got beat by him twice by his offense twice this year. Um, I think the conversation goes roughly. We saw what he did for CJ. We think he can do it for Will. Now, whether or not that conversation is the basis of that conversation is wrong or valid, like that's a whole other discussion that I don't think we can we're, we're gonna have because it's you can get into the weeds and all that, whatever. That's how the conversation is gonna go, and I think if Bobby wants a head coaching job this year, this is the one he's gonna he's gonna take. Um, now, the question is like, does he take it? I don't I don't know if he does. I don't know if he wants to take a head coaching job. I don't know if he needs to. I think it would benefit him to take another year, same way Ben Johnson was a little bit selective last year, um, and become the top name on the market next year potentially. So if it's not Ben Johnson, I think I think they're going offense in my mind. They're going to go offense to kind of pair with Will Levis. I think Frank Smith makes a lot of sense for Miami. Not a play caller, um, but has had plenty of tutelage under good play callers being in Miami with Mike McDaniel. Offensive line guru. That's clearly Rand Carthen clears about the offense cares about the offensive line, wants to rebuild it. I think if that's what you want to do, you want to have a damn good offensive line, you hire Frank Smith. I watched him trot out UDFAs with the Chargers and have a an average offensive line. I watched him play UDFAs at, an, at a league average level. That guy's an absolute stud. So um, I'm a big Frank Smith fan. He was one of my top candidates for the Chargers. I think he might even be like my third favorite candidate for the Chargers. Don't think that's where they're going to go. Well, realistic candidate. Mike Vrabel will be my, my third favorite candidate. For the second favorite candidate, probably, but whatever. Um, I think he makes a lot of sense for them. I think after that, maybe like an Eric Bieniemy could make sense here. He's I don't think he's gonna stick around in in in, uh, in Washington. Uh, maybe if they hired Bill, maybe they keep Bieniemy. I I honestly don't know. I don't know if Bieniemy wants to stay in in Washington. I couldn't tell you. Um, so Nashville out in Tennessee makes some sense for a Bieniemy to me. Um, change of scenery from Washington. Kind of the DMV is a little bit different out in Nashville. Um. This, so we'll see. I I think it's Slovic's job if he wants it. I don't know if, if he doesn't want it. I think you're looking at Frank Smith, Eric Bieniemy. Um, I don't think they want to go defense. But I mean, Brian Callahan would be a little bit of a surprise, but it wouldn't be a terrible hire either. Um, so looking at offensive court, I mean, like, um, <clears throat> I mean, Kellen Moore could even be an option for them as offensive coordinator. Just I think they want an offensive guy to work with Will Levis. That's kind of where I lean with them. Um, next one here is the Seahawks. Obviously, moving on from Pete Carroll, kind of a something like conversation went, hey, Pete, we want you to take a different role with the organization. We don't want you to leave, but we don't want you to be the head coach anymore. And Pete tried to be, they tried to push to be the head coach, so they were firmly on saying no. And so now he's an advisor for them, and who knows if he gets back into coaching in another year or not. But um, to me, this is Dan Quinn, if, I, if I'm calling my shot. I mean, this is Dan Quinn. This is the dream job for Dan Quinn, right? I mean, it's he gets to go back to Seattle. 
He gets to bring his staff with him. Pete's still there. He can work with him if he wants to. They can retain Shane Waldron, who's gonna who's taking offense coordinator job interviews right now. Um, and it could be a phenomenal hire for anyone who gets him. I think this makes a lot of sense for, for Dan Quinn. Um, if it's not Dan Quinn, Mike McDonald would make sense here. They could also go with an offensive guy that they could promote Waldron. They could do a lot of things here, but to me, I mean, Dan Quinn is the, is the, is the pin here for me. Yeah, I think Dan Quinn makes a lot of sense. And like you said, I think they go defense. Um, you know, it's probably Dan. There's, I think Seahawks probably go for Dan Quinn the hardest. I don't know if Dan Quinn's going to get interviews from all these teams, let alone half of them, uh, but we'll see. I think it's a very realistic option. We'll see how it goes, but I I like that fit. I like the pairing. I think it would uh, be pretty beneficial, maybe not year one, but uh, you know, I think we definitely see improvements starting year one, especially with all the talent they have on that defense. I do know Dan Quinn's got, I think, all of the teams, all of the the first five teams I think he has requested interviews with. I don't okay. know about the Titans and the Seahawks, but I do know he has requested interviews from the other five. Oh, no, sorry. The other four, the Falcons, not the Falcons, the Commanders, Chargers, Raiders, Panthers have all requested, I believe. So about half of them, probably. Yes, I mean, nonetheless, um, you know, he made a Super Bowl. He's been a really good coach, incredible defensive coordinator there in Dallas for a few years now. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, um, a lot of openings here, and we have one more in the Patriots that just opened up. But uh, I mean, not all these hires are going to work out. There's only so many candidates. There's only so many successful coaches that are going to last in this league and at the end of the day there's always going to be um, teams that you know can't get a right hire and have to come back in a couple years and I think you know out of these eight teams we might see a couple that are back here in a couple years and you know starting over again from a coaching standpoint coaching staff um, roster building and it's going to be unfortunate for them but um, I just I don't see how all these work out Obviously, you know, some guys are going to be head coaches again. Some are going to be first-time head coaches. But I think for the Patriots, which is the last team we have today, I think obviously getting rid of Bill Belichick after 24 years or something like that um, is huge. It's massive news. You know, statistically almost the greatest coach of all time. He needs like 18 more wins as a head coach. And I think, like you said, with Atlanta, I think very realistic option for him and for Atlanta, um, that he can break the record there in terms of all-time regular season wins. But in terms of who the Patriots could bring in to replace Bill Belichick, I think from a culture standpoint, from a success standpoint, um, in terms of what Robert Kraft voiced that he wants the Patriots to get back to, I think Mike Vrabel um, is the main option for them. Obviously, they're going to interview a bunch of guys, but I think Vrabel would be the best fit there. Um, Just at the end of the day, he knows what he's doing. Like I said, with the Titans, he's led them to a, you know, multiple playoff experience ex, uh, seasons in just six seasons. And I think he would be a great fit in New England. Um, and yeah, I think I mean, he could be there for a while if they end up hiring him. It's Braves. Um, he was a Pat the Monday before he got fired. Um, I think uh, it's just it's too. I mean, he's literally inducted into the in the Patriots Hall of Fame or Ring of Honor this season. Um, and this is what Kraft would want. The big challenge is, can you hire a GM that will want that that can work with Vrabel? Clearly, Tennessee couldn't do it. The writing is on the wall. Tennessee got rid of Vrabel because Vrabel wanted to compete, and Rand Carthen wanted to rebuild. And 
it's very clear that's what happened. Um, I didn't get, I didn't say it, but like the Titans firing Vrabel mistake. They're not hiring a better head coach than him. Make it work, guys. Fire the OC. Bring in a new guy. Then, then the fact they didn't trade him is preposterous. Whatever. <clears throat> uh, variables going to the Pats, I think, no question. Who they hire for GM, no clue. Literally couldn't tell you. Um, but I think, I think Vrabes is the head coach there. Um, that kind of wraps up the NFL talk, and we'll quickly cover uh, one last uh, college topic where we started the start of the show today. Um, Nick Saban officially calls it a career. I was shocked. I thought he would wait it out a couple more years to pass Bear Bryant in all-time wins um, at Alabama. So I'm genuinely shocked he retired. Um, beside the point, the first name that kind of popped up for everyone was Dan Lanning as their top choice to replace uh, Nick Saban, along with Dabo Sweeney. It's announced today that Dan, that Dan Lanning is, in fact, staying in Eugene and said he has zero plans to ever leave Eugene until he's fired or retires. So um, good for Oregon fans. I think that was a, a big scare. I think having to nail a second, I guess re- having to nail a third straight coaching hire would have been tough. Um, they, they had a good hire in Crystal Ball. He leaves. They nailed the hire with Lanning. Um, having to hire a new guy would be tough. So Lanning's saying there's big. Lanning not being Alabama, I think he's even bigger for the SEC because um, I think Lanning would have killed it at Alabama. So um, we'll talk about some options and then our predictions. I'll let Brett kind of kick it off with a couple guys he thinks are an option, and we can kind of go back and forth with a mid-list of maybe you know five or six guys I think are, are on the table for Alabama, and then uh, we can make our prediction and get out of here. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options. Obviously, a highly coveted job, but I think I think Lane Kiffin's a really big option for them. I think also Sarkeesian going back there, although I don't think he's going to. Uh, I think Kiffin would be more likely. And then you said Sweeney, just a few guys that I think could make the move uh, to Tuscaloosa in terms of, um, you know, leaving their current program at a pretty high point in in terms of where they've been. Maybe not Clemson, uh, you know, a couple down years, but. Um, you know, whoever Bama brings in is going to have a pretty good track record and I think can bring them back to, um, you know, not going to not what they were a national championship contender every year. But, you know, top 15, top 10 team year in and year out. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm flipped. I, th- I think Sark's more likely to leave than than Kiffin is. Um, I think if Lane was going to leave almost, I think he would have done it last year to go to Auburn because um, it seemed like he was taking that Auburn job and then they hired he freeze. So. I think Lane's going to stay at Ole Miss, although both of those guys, I think, are are likely to take that job if they're offered it. Um, uh, again, Dabo, he's always kind of been like the assumed predecessor to Nick Saban, and then the last three years have happened, and Dabo hasn't 0% adapted to NIL. He's not changing with the times, and it'll be the death of that program if he doesn't change with the times like he needs to. So, um I'll throw a couple of names out there. Um, Kalen DeBoer, I think, is the dark horse, very likely candidate here. Um, what he's done at Washington is beyond impressive. They were horrendous the year before he took over, and then he took takes over, and what two two three years in, they're they're in a they're in a national championship game, and they were good last year. And I think this would be the time for Kalen to leave Washington. They're going to the Big Ten, the Penix, Odunze, McMillan, Polk, Fontenot, Braylon Trice, all assumed to be leaving. This is the time to get out and go take go take the Bama job. 
that's to me that's the that's the terrifying thing for the SEC is Kalen DeBoer takes his job. He's done nothing but win everywhere he's been. I think Kalen DeBoer's a good option. If they don't go with him, or or kind of any of the other guys who have <clears throat> been a part of Alabama in the past or attended the Nick Saban uh you know coaching school uh you know or coaching rehab center to rehab or coaching you know re- uh, image rehab facility in Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian um I think James Franklin is named to look for as well low buyout number he's done some really good things at Penn State but I think he's reached the pinnacle at Penn State I've talked about this before I don't think Penn State can go any further they can't hang with Michigan and Ohio State in recruiting and that may never change frankly if Jim leaves when Jim leaves Michigan maybe it does change I think Sharon Moore would be fine taking that job over, which is what's going to happen. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't think James – I think he's like the of the five we've listed here. I don't know if he's the – I think he's probably lowest on that totem pole. Um, I'm trying to think of a sixth name to kind of throw out there. Um, but I don't really know if there's another guy. Like They're going to make a big name higher, and I think we've kind of hit all the names that they're going to look at. Um, I wonder if they call Matt Matt Campbell um, at Iowa State. Don't know if they will. Kind of curious if they do. But I think it's going to be. I think I think it'll be one of Kalen DeBoer, Steve Sarkeesian, or Blaine Kiffin. I I think it's going to be Kalen DeBoer. I think. I think I think it's the best option. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I um, you know saw a list of names and one that I have thought a little more about is Mike Norvell from Florida State. I think. He would he would be a good option. He wouldn't be the best option, but um, you know, a really good recruiter and a guy that's been there before, similar to the other guys. So I think he's definitely a contender. Yeah, I mean Nor- Norvell is an interesting one. Um, well, listen, it would uh, it would certainly <clears throat> open up the Dion rumors, right? I mean, he's here's the thing with Dion. He is pretty committed to not leaving Colorado for another year. And because he's, you know, Shadur and and Travis and Shiloh, they can't transfer again. They don't get another waiver. They're not they're not getting a waiver to go play for their dad, unfortunately. I wonder if Alabama hires someone within the program. And then hires Dion in a year. That to me seems like something they could do. Same for if Norvell takes the Alabama job, does Florida State promote from within for a season? get rid of the guy and get, and get it's, it's a dangerous game to play recruits flip at the drop of a hat. We saw it yesterday. The hat literally dropped and Ryan Williams decommitted from Alabama, five-star receiver who just reclassified and was still a top five prospect in the country. He's probably gonna go to Auburn now because dad played for Auburn. So that's an interesting one to fi- kind of fire off the Dion thing. <clears throat> Saban retiring this year really screws that, I think. And I, I think Alabama's probably pretty pissed about it, to be honest. Because all those other candidates are still available in a year. Dion's not. Like, Dion's not available this year. He did been, you know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be Kalen DeBoer if I had to pick. It's my fits. I don't want it to happen because I think Alabama would be a powerhouse still. Not what they were, obviously, but, like, he's the guy that's like, man, they're still going to be really good. Lane, I think I have some reservations about Sark. I definitely have some reservations about 
don't think he's a very good play caller, whatever. Um, James Franklin, I don't really know. But, again, I think this is going to take a couple weeks. Or what could happen today? I, honestly, I don't really know. Um, there are some that think it'll be a week or two. There are some that think they're going to make a hire tomorrow. Like, there was like some people, some there was some message board report that was like, hey, yeah, <clears throat> Saban retired because Alabama's got their guy lined up within 72 hours. Didn't work with Lanning. So, I guess we'll see where they pivot. But, yeah, I'm, I'm beyond intrigued right now. See what happens. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a fun one to follow along with, along with the eight out of the 32 NFL head uh, coaching openings. That'll pretty much do it for our final Thursday turf talk of the season. Uh, like I said, next Thursday we'll have a normal episode that'll cover everything um, that we normally cover on the uh, Tuesday episodes, along with our NFL uh, the four divisional round game predictions. And then Monday, we will have our first edition of the 2024 NFL draft positional rankings, where we will cover two positions this week or on Monday. And those positions will be safeties and tight ends. Um, you know, two of the lesser position groups in this draft, the way we're structuring it is to where we are starting with the lesser position groups and slowly progressing through the offseason, covering uh, the better and better position groups to where we end with the best position groups right before we get into our mock draft um, for mock draft Mondays. But obviously, we haven't seen anything in the offseason on these guys. It's been strictly off last year's tape primarily. Um, you know, we're not yet to the Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, Hula Bowl even is not uh, happening quite yet. Um Obviously, combine early March that has big impacts for a lot of teams in terms of the way they scout um, and the way we look at guys, maybe. But yeah, tight ends and safeties on Monday and be a little bit of a faster paced episode, just given that it's going to be two different positions um, with a lot of guys that, you know, outside of one, there's not a ton of guys that are, you know, highly touted prospects within those two position groups, but still, nonetheless, really looking forward to it. First edition. Going to be a blast to get back to it. Um, gonna ha- we're going to rank guys one through five and then talk about, you know, two or three guys outside of that that deserve some recognition but didn't quite make the list. Um, probably not much more than that just to keep it rolling. But, um, but yeah, thank you all for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with me through this episode as I've lost my voice throughout the episode. Um, but, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We will see you all Monday, like I said, for the first position rankings. Follow us on X and Instagram at Cold Sea Podcast. And uh, see you guys soon. Yeah, we'll see you guys then.